Hey guys, welcome to the third episode of the Adventures in Death Care podcast. This is Herman. I want to apologize first and foremost for being absent in doing podcasts. I remember when I started doing them, I wanted to do them weekly. And what happened was I started to do them. One episode I had, and it was the topic I was talking about in this particular one that I'm doing right now didn't save correctly and I had lost it and then things got a little bit hectic around my life due to you know life in general but anyway I'm here now as you guys can probably tell I added new intro music that is provided by composer Justin Durbin hopefully I got that name right Anyway, um, welcome to today's podcast. Uh, Let's talk about death, baby. What we're going to talk about first is two, well, this episode is about two topics in general. The first topic that I've gotten questions about is mortuary school and mortuary science. What do they teach there and whatnot? And the other topic I'm going to talk about is professionalism within the funeral industry. Now, please keep in mind for anybody listening outside of the state of California that's probably sent me an angry email. Like, why do you call the funeral industry an industry? It's a profession. Well, unfortunately, in California, that is not the case. It is an industry here, and that is why I call it that. I do understand in the dually licensed states um, or the conjoined licensed states, it is known as a profession, and I do wholeheartedly respect that over there. But here I have to call it what it is, and it is the funeral service industry. Um, I call it the death care industry, what have you, but it is what it is. Uh, but we're going to talk about professionalism within this. So let's get to mortuary school. What is mortuary school? Well, It's not really a school. Well, there are some schools that are strictly schools for mortuary science. But the place where I attended, which was Cypress College in Buena Park, was not a school devoted to mortuary science. Mortuary science was a program within this college. Um, The way that I got into it was they have an application where you have to apply, you have to send your transcripts. Many students that live nearby will have attended Cypress College way before entering the program by getting their general education done. I know to get into the program, you need 25 units to transfer in with your English, your Um, I think it was public speaking that I had to take, obviously biology with the lab and such in order to be considered into the program. Now, I know when I got into my program in 2013, it was very compacted. Well, when I went to my orientation, there was like 60 people and only about 30 of us got chosen. Um, you will get the way that my program worked is you will get an email letting you know if you were chosen or if you were an alternate and the, the alternate, I think they, they got 30 for sure students and then 30 alternates so that if people didn't show up or they dropped, they would have picked from an alternate. 
So anyway, every school is completely different. Um, if you want to know where is your local mortuary school or where you can find out more about that, I'd, I'd, um, show you to the American Board of Funeral Service Education website, where not only can you see all the types of campuses that offer a mortuary science program, but you can also see that there are awesome online programs. Um, I know Arapahoe Community College, if I'm correct, if that's what it's called, I know it's in Arapahoe, um, in Colorado, although Colorado doesn't have any licensing requirements for being a funeral practitioner. They do have an awesome school that people can do online. And I know that you only have to fly out there to do your embalmings and your restorative art projects. So that's, that's really cool. It all depends what you want to do and what your schedule allows you to. I am very fortunate that Cypress College was about 45 minutes away from where I lived down in Riverside, California. But I'm going to tell you, I knew people that lived in San Diego and traveled daily to Cypress College. Uh, attending mortuary school, if it's far away for you and you're going to campus, you got to be really de dedicated because one thing that people will find when they start the program is Mortuary science may not be what you had envisioned. For example, the TV show Six Feet Under did get, it, it got a lot of stuff right in regards to how the business is. But many people just see the glamour. I, I don't even want to call it glamour, but, you know, they see all the cool stuff that they see on TV um, Instagram, they say, Hey, I want to do this, but then they realize, Oh, this might not actually be what I want to do. Maybe I, um, glamorized it too much in my mind, but that's one thing that I did notice when I was attending mortuary school is we would get a lot of people that would say they're gun ho about working in the death care industry. But after a week or two, they start dropping like flies because they realize, oh, I'm not just really working with dead people. I'm also working with the living. I also have to be social to the grieving families. Yeah, if you're going to get into this industry, at least in California, um, you might not have the benefit of just strictly working in the prep room. Although I'm not going to say that those positions don't exist because I know many people with those types of positions. So the types of courses that are taught in mortuary school are the following. Um, I'm getting this from my alma mater's website, and I know because the program directors and the professors work very hard to keep their, um, their American Board certification current. They, they will teach what is required, and this is the following. Funeral service management. The way that this took form in my um, education was accounting and business management. Um, we learned how to run a business from top to bottom. We created business plans, a death care business plan, and it was it was pretty awesome. Um, you also learn about um, embalming, obviously, funeral directing, um, one of the cool classes that I took or that you're supposed to take is 
what's known as a ceremonies course, and you learn about all different types of cultures and religions, uh, customs of how they do funeral services. And that was really neat because at that time I hadn't done a, when I, when I took this class, I was not in the industry yet. So I was just a student and I didn't know that many different religions had very different structures as to how their personal funerals have to be done. Uh, Another course that you'll take is anatomy, pathology, and microbiology. Some um, campuses, they'll do three different classes for it. But with with my experience, it was um, all together. And that was really cool because we got to learn things that the um, anatomy classes or the micro classes across the, the campus, as we would say, don't talk about. Everything that we talked about in regards to pathology and microbiology was in regards to how it affected the embalming process and us as practitioners with dealing with um, dead human remains that would have certain pathology with them. Uh, We learned restorative art, which is how to reconstruct any um, damage to the face or maybe the arms or somewhat. Um, That was a pretty challenging class for me due to the fact that I am not artistically gifted. I had those classmates that it just came to them. Um, So that's a pretty cool course. Um, I learned how to do an ear, a nose, a mouth, and you even learn how to apply makeup, dress, and cosmetize deceased human remains. And it's it was really fun to do that, even though I completely sucked at that. Then you have your funeral service sciences, which include um, what's known as thanatochemistry. And this is basically a chemistry class that incorporates, you know, the organic, inorganic chemistry but on how it works with embalming machine, embalming fluids and the chemistry of the embalming process itself. That was real cool. Um, ceremonies, of course, we already talked about that. Uh, counseling, which is, it coincided with our thanatology courses. Um, thanatology is the study of death and grieving and such. And what counseling does is it puts you, at least it did in my education, um, it put us in the seat of what the funeral director has to do when they are talking to the families or we're trying to get our point across as to teach them about what they're going through and how to manage their grief stuff like that. And another thing that we learn is what was my favorite course is mortuary law. Uh, We learned everything that we had to know, not just in regards to the California codes um, to pass our state licensure exams, but also we um, learned about business law in general and precedents that were started with 
cases involving funeral homes and funeral practitioners. And one thing that we did learn is anything that you mess up in regards to funeral professions, um, you can get sued for just about everything. And that's one thing that we don't want to do uh, because of the fiduciary duty we have to our client families and the types of personal service contracts that we create with them. But one thing that is going to help me segue into the next um, the next uh, topic of professionalism within the industries, at the end of the day, a good mortuary school like mine would have taught you how to be a professional as to how to carry yourself, how to handle things, the like. The reason I'm bringing this up is one thing that people who have gone to school will notice is that when they do get to work at a funeral home, at least in California, 97% of the people working there did not go to school. Most of them probably picked up the phone, walked in, and inquired about a position. In that case, they got a position without even needing to step foot into a college campus or know anything about what dead human remains need to be taken care of. And this will create a divide as to, I believe it will create a divide as to how certain people will carry themselves. Many times you'll see on the news about a person who was at the drive-thru or they were doing something they shouldn't have done while on the clock and they end up getting fired. Like I remember last year, I remember reading about three different cases where funeral directors, I don't know if they were licensed or not, would go to a drive-thru during lunch with the decedent in their, in their coach. And that to me is, it's very unprofessional if people can tell what you're doing and the fact that you just couldn't wait. I understand that, you know, people do get hungry, but when it comes to being professional, that is, that's not cool. It, it really isn't. Another thing that sparked this topic was a few weeks ago, on November 6th specifically, BuzzFeed released this listicle, as they call them, and it is titled 22 Stories from Funeral Home Employees. According to BuzzFeed, they said that they asked funeral home employees to tell us stories about their jobs and what their daily work consists of. I don't remember being asked by BuzzFeed or any of my colleagues being asked by BuzzFeed. I know that when BuzzFeed wants information from people to create an article or a listicle, as they call it, they will have uh they will have kind of like a um classified where they ask. I did not see this, so I'm assuming this is probably from a different country because um BuzzFeed does um get stuff from the UK. So I'm I'm gonna give BuzzFeed the benefit of the doubt, but from commenters and reading what they had to say, I really don't think that BuzzFeed truly asked 
funeral home employees. And if they did, they weren't the right ones. For example, some of these stories from funeral home employees talk about funeral home employees playing the cruelest jokes on one another. Um, Hazing at any funeral home, especially in the presence of dead human remains is really not cool. It is, it's just not cool. I remember when I started working at um, my previous employer down in Riverside, one of my coworkers thought it would be funny to try this on my first day. I'm not going to say what he tried to do, but I thought it was pretty unprofessional. And again, you will see the divide between people that go to school and are taught how to be professional and collegial versus people who just walk in and they need a job. Another one that I'm not going to say it's it's not true because there are those bad apples that do it was keeping belongings of the deceased. That in itself is it's it's sad that people do that because I wish to say that funeral home employees don't do that, but but it does happen. I I hope that licensed people don't do it as much, but it it, it happens. It, it sucks that it does happen. One thing that um that really 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 um raised my concerns was this one. Uh, it was on the list. It was number four. It says we use glue to seal the mouths and eyelids of the bodies. No, Ab- absolutely not. That is not true. I have never seen glue or any type of glue to seal the mouth or the eyelids of the deceased human remains. We have special tools that are used. I know back in the day, maybe some procedures have changed, but uh, from reading commenters' um, reactions, yeah, no. This is what makes people not trust the industry in itself. They think that all we're doing is mutilating bodies, mistreating them as such, and It's stuff like this that gives us the bad name when supposed funeral home employees are saying that they do that. Um, Another thing here is if the body is too big, we occasionally have to break its bones. I know in the state of California, uh, that would be a felony and that is also known as a mutilation. We have to have written consent as well as um, or spoken consent of the person with the the rights to disposition just for embalming. Because if we do anything to that body, if we change anything about that body, it is considered mutilation. No way would we ever break the bones of a deceased body. It is... It is despicable that someone would say they do that at their funeral home. And if you're, if you do do that, I hope, I hope someone finds out. I I really hope that you guys are disciplined for that because 
there there is no need there are caskets that are bigger to deal with larger humans or larger cases it, it's just not right um another one was people always ask if we've had sex in the caskets i'm not even going to touch that because i'm telling you if if that that's just nasty so i'm going to move on i i i don't know where people get these ideas from but um one thing that i i do know is people um do ask i remember when i was in school people always assumed that there was a kink that people who studied this had and that was necrophilia they always say oh is it because do people study this because they want to touch the bodies in a sick manner that no that's again not true but i can't say that there aren't those people and what's sad is you'll hear more about the horror stories within the industry than you will about the good stuff that happens in the industry you'll hear about people getting the wrong body on occasion you'll hear about people burying the wrong person on occasion and that really does taint the industry and it causes for people to absolutely not trust us it causes for people to think that Jessica Mitford's The American Way of Death is current events and that the funeral, um, the FTC has not changed things or that state uh, requisitions and laws have not, have not created rules that make it so that people that do this aren't disciplined. Um, one thing that I will say is in California, we have what's known as business and professions code. And what that does is it basically says this is what you can and cannot do within your industry. When we deal with uh, regulations in the death care industry, we deal with several different um, types of codes. We deal with health and safety, business and professions code, um, government and welfare code, if that was correct, if that's what I said. And one of the codes that men, I see many people break, and it's sad because even those that did go to mortuary school break, but hey, it happens. I, I try my best not to do it. I don't think I've ever done it because of this. But here in California, I know that according to Business and Professions Code 7700, Using profane, indecent, or obscene language in the course of the preparation for burial, removal, or other disposition of, or during the funeral service for human remains, or within the immediate hearing of the family or relatives of a deceased whose remains have not yet been interred or otherwise disposed of constitutes a ground for disciplinary action. That means just using foul language or listening to music with foul language is grounds for disciplinary action if you're a licensed practitioner. Another um, another thing that would just really swipe out all of this listicle from BuzzFeed 
is Business and Professions Code 7707 that says, Gross negligence, gross incompetence, or unprofessional conduct in the practice of funeral directing or embalming constitutes a ground for disciplinary action. Like I said, every funeral home employee is very different. I have met some people that have gone to mortuary school with me that are really unprofessional when it comes to their practices. And I have met those people that come from mortuary school that are very professional, such as those who didn't go and are professionals and those who didn't go and are unprofessional. But what's sad is if we keep things like these BuzzFeed articles coming or um, I know Connecting Directors has new sources of when bad things happen, that's all people are going to see. And that's why people do not trust the industry. They call us sharks. They think that we're out to get them, whether it's financially or we're doing something to their loved one. And I'm not going to lie. I personally, I've worked with very unprofessional people that had I not known, if I didn't know better, I would refuse to use a mortuary. And luckily for me, California is a home death care state and I know where to go to um, get home death care done and not deal with a large funeral home or a traditional firm. But one thing that I hope you guys get out of this podcast is just because you work with the dead does not mean that you're not being watched by the public when you work. Uh, funeral directors may be seen sometimes as creepy and weird individuals, but there are also those people that see us as professionals. And at the end of the day, we have to be that. So if you're thinking of going to mortuary school or even getting a job in funeral service, I hate to say this, but please be the change that we wish to see in the industry. Be more professional. I do not want to be standing on a high horse. No way am I saying that I am absolved from all sin when it comes. I mean, I've 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 cussed a few times once in the prep room because I've been frustrated, but I will tell you try your best to be professional and show yourselves that you aren't like those people who just walk in a funeral home and get a job go to mortuary school, learn, and be the amazing death revolutionaries that you guys can be. I know that uh, some courses are changing to talk more about cremation because embalming, I feel personally, might be out the door in in a few years to come, and cremation is, is what's going to be all the rage. So, I think that it's cool that new generations of funeral practitioners are coming. And I I just ask that you guys keep in mind that this is a profession. Maybe not in California, but even if it is an industry, it's all about being professional and being true to who you are. Just think about if someone was taking care of your loved one. How would you want them to take care of them? That's the way that I treat 
the decedents I work with is this is someone's loved one. I'm going to be professional. I'm not going to be in the news for driving through the drive through or mutilation or doing any unspeakable action that would just be really sad. So thank you guys for listening to this third episode. I hope to come back next week. I have this podcast up on SoundCloud and iTunes. I don't know why iTunes has not uploaded episode two, but you can listen to episode two on SoundCloud until I realize what's going on with iTunes. Until then, thank you guys for listening to me ramble and memento mori. Bye-bye.